coast to coast and floorboards to shingles, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Pick up the phone, give us a call right now at 1-888-MONEYPIT because we're here to help you tackle your home improvement projects. Solve your do-it-yourself dilemmas. Make your home beautiful, more comfortable, and more energy efficient. But help yourself first by calling us at 888-666-3974. Coming up this hour, you count on hot water at the turn of a tap, but if you don't keep your water heater maintained, chilly showers might await you. We're going to have some tips to keep things heated up just ahead. And also ahead, if winter blues have you feeling blah, well, why not perk up your space with some paint? It'll be like spring paid you an early visit. We're going to tell you which colors work to bring happy hues to your home coming up. And is your laundry room one of the more disheveled rooms in your house? We've got advice on a laundry room makeover that can help make this space work for you and not against you. And one lucky caller this hour can finally get those frames and artwork up on the walls. We are giving away a laser level, which is perfect for making the right placement for whatever nails or holes or any sort of bracket you need to put up. You'll know that it's in the right spot. It's prize worth almost 30 bucks, going out to one caller drawn at random from those that reach us for today's show. So let's make that you. The number is one eight 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 money pit 888-666-3974. Leslie, who's first? Jane Ellen in Pennsylvania is looking at getting some new windows. How can we help you make that decision? Yes, well, we're looking at getting, um, replacing our single-pane windows. And our question is, do you think it would be more cost-effective to spend the extra money on triple-pane windows or would double-pane windows be okay? Uh, other than the windows, the house is fairly well insulated. It's not real drafty. Uh, we haven't priced our options yet, so we just we're looking for an opinion. I think that double pane windows will be fine. The thing is that when you shop for windows, you have all of these different features and benefits that you have to compare and contrast, and sometimes it gets very confusing when you do that. What I would look for is a window that's Energy Star rated and one that has double pane glass. As long as the glass is insulated and has like a low E coating so it reflects the heat back, that'll be fine. It's been my experience that unless you live in the most severe climates, triple pane glass doesn't really uh, make up the additional cost in terms of return on investment. Wonderful. Thank you so much. What kind of windows do you have now? Are they very drafty? They're, well, they're single pane windows. They're, they're relatively decent windows for single pane, but they're, they're old. They're starting to, you can see the gas is starting to escape from them, and they are a little drafty. We're our house has a field behind it. Our backyard kind of opens up into a field. So there's a significant amount of wind that comes across the field and blows into the back of the house. And um, off the main back area, we have like a three seasons room, which helps to block some of the wind from the interior downstairs. But the upstairs bedrooms, you feel the wind a little bit more significantly. And we notice the single pane windows a little bit more there. It seems more drafty right there. Well, I think these windows are going to make a big difference for you. Now, if you need to save some money and maybe not doing them all at once, that's fine too. What I would do is the north and east sections of the house first, sides of the house first, and then the south and the west second. Okay? Okay. Sounds great. I know given the winter that we've all had in the northeast and pretty much all over the United States, you might think that a triple pane glass is going to do the trick, especially when we've had, what, like an average of five degrees time? Yeah. (laughs) I got to tell you, the days that we've had like 30 and 40 degree temperatures, like I've put on a light jacket. I've seen families out with no jackets. Like people (laughs) are out of their minds when we get 40 degree days. I know. We're happy for it, right? It's like summer. (laughs) All right. Well, Jane Ellen, I hope that helps you out. Thanks again for calling us at 888 Money Pit.
Jimmy, you've got the money pit. How can we help you today? A couple of weeks ago, I was listening to your show, and uh, a person called in and, and had paneling in their den, and they wanted to paint it. And uh, I missed the first part of it. <laughs> okay. uh, I have paneling in my den. It's uh, it's red oak paneling. Okay. And my wife my wife been wanting to paint this stuff forever, but you you said you had to use a primer. I got that part of it, to, you know, in a good quality paint. But I think you said you had to sand the paneling first. Is that correct? Well, only sort of lightly sand it. We'd like you to rough up the surface just a little bit because it tends to be fairly glossy, as you know. And so, yeah, if you if you rough up the surface just a bit with some sandpaper and then you apply a good quality primer and a good quality paint, you're going to get the best outcome in terms of that project. Okay, because she cleans this paneling every year and she uses an oil-based cleaner to clean it. Well, okay, so on top of that, then I'm also going to suggest that you wash it down with TSP, trisodium phosphate. So I would give it a sanding, and then I would wash it down with a mixture of TSP, which you'll find at uh, home and hardware stores, usually in the paint aisle. And this way you'll, you'll clean it of all that oily uh, debris that may still be on the surface that could impede the ability of the primer to stick properly. Okay, so I don't know what TSP is. What is that? It's trisodium phosphate. It's a it's a essentially a detergent. It comes in a powder, and you mix it up with water. It's uh it, it it's very soapy, but you wash it down with that, uh, rinse it off, and you're good to go. All right, I appreciate it. Okay, Jim, good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at one eight 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 Money Pit. You are tuned to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. Now you can call in your home repair, your home improvement question, pretty much whatever you are working on at your money pit, we will help you get it done. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week at 1-888-MONEY-PIT. 888-666-3974. Still ahead, we've got tips to help you take care of your water heater so you keep in hot water instead of out of it. You live in a money pit. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Standing by for your calls at 888-MONEY-PIT, 888-666-3974. Hey, this hour we're giving away a laser level to one lucky caller. It features a unique ball and cup mounting system, so it's perfect for helping you to hang a shelf or align a picture and Whatever you need to do, make sure it's on the straight and narrow. <laughs> this tool can help you do that. It's worth 30 bucks going out to one caller. Join at random. Make that you. Call us now at 888-MONEY-PIT. All right. Next up, we've got Robin in Kentucky who's noticing an odd odor. What's going on at your Money Pit? Well, purchased the house last February, and about two months later, the house developed an odor. Wait, the whole house? Like inside, outside? Where is this odor that it you sent? It appears to be coming from the ductwork. It's slab construction. And the people in the area say that it's uh, they, you know, the house is built in '55. They say that uh, they used ceramic ductwork under the slab, and uh, they're thinking that the ductwork has cracked and is letting a, an odor from underground come up. Eh, maybe not. But go ahead. But it, well, we, we've had a number of people into the house to look at it, and uh, they've taken air samples and stuff, and no one can really say what it is. Uh, all they can say is, well, we suggest that you replace that ductwork with overhead, you know, ductwork through the attic. That's a pretty big change. Have you ever had a duct inspection done with cameras? No, I've tried a number of people to get that done, and, and no one in the area uh, can do it. We called Rotor-Rooter because we know they do it, but they said they wouldn't do it for ductwork. They would only do it for, for, you know, 
pipes. Well, Robin, as you've probably discovered, tracking down um, odors that are associated with uh, heating and cooling ducts is a very tricky business. And part of the reason for that is because there's so many possibilities. It could be mold. It could be other forms of organic matter. It could be sewage gases that are somehow working their way into those ducts. What I'm going to do is send you to a resource guide where every conceivable cause of duct odors is presented and explored and let you research this a little bit better on your own. And maybe you'll put two and two together based on what you read here and what you're experiencing in your home and come up with a solution. All right. So I want you to go to a website called Inspectopedia. Inspectopedia is a website actually put together by an old friend of mine named Dan Friedman. He's one of the best home inspectors in the country. He's gone through a lot of trouble to collect uh, information on problems just like this. And if you go to Inspectopedia, so it's Inspect A and then P-E-D-I-A, uh, and you search uh, how to find and remove odors in heating ducts, you'll find this guide. And uh, it's thousands of words long, uh, and you should be able to go through and see if we can get to the bottom of it. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Now we've got Margie in Delaware on the line with a flooring question. What can we do for you today? Well, we had carpeting down here from the 70s in this home that we moved into. So we pulled up the carpeting. And there's beautiful hardwood floors underneath, except wherever those uh, wood strips with the nails were that were holding the carpet down, there, there's a bunch of black holes where the nails were. Yeah. How can we clean that up? Yeah, that, the strips are called tackless. And what's happened is the nails have oxidized, so you get some rust and other types of corrosion that forms on the metal and reacts with the wood and leaves that sort of black stain. So what you have to do is sand the wood floors. If you sand the wood floors, you'll get rid of most of that black stain that's showing around the top of the hole, and then you can fill in the holes with a wood putty that matches the floor, sand it again, and you'll just about cover them. You're still going to see a little bit of them, but they will not be obvious. Right now, they're painfully obvious, I know. Uh, but but if you sand the floors and then fill them in and sand it again and finish it, it will blend in. That's great. It's it's got to be better than what it looks like now. No, it's nice. Think of that carpet as an, as a beautiful drop cloth that protected those floors for all those years. <laughs> yeah. And now you get a chance to enjoy them again. Okay. Thank you so very much. You're welcome, Margie. Thanks so much for calling us at eight 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 Money Pit. Well, you turn the tap and you get hot water. But have you ever thought about what it actually takes to heat that water? So lots of energy dollars can be wasted if you do not properly maintain your water heater. So here's really what you need to know. Now, most water heaters run on gas, oil, or electricity. So if your water heater is gas-fired, it's important to have it serviced. Combustion deposits can actually build up, and that's going to make your heater super inefficient. Yep, and actually the same goes for an oil water heater. Not as common, but needs just the same kind of maintenance. Uh, And what you want to do is make sure it's thoroughly clean so that that oil is burned efficiently, it's not being wasted, and it's not producing excessive carbon monoxide. Now let's talk about electric water heaters. Uh, For those, one of the two coils that run the electric water heater can burn out after a while. So if you see that you start to run out of hot water quickly, that's probably what's happened. You've lost one of those coils, and an electrician or a plumber can take care of replacing it. Now another way to save money with electric water heaters is to put a timer on them, and this way you'll only run the water heater when you actually need it, which for most of us is a few hours in the morning and a few hours in the early evening. 
And if you're willing to make the investment, a tankless water heater heats only the water that you need as you use it. And it's the most efficient type of water heater out there. Yeah, and it's small enough so that you can actually install it close to bathrooms so you won't actually have to wait for hot water again. So lots of ways to go here. But the bottom line is you've got to maintain these systems if you want them to be there when you need it. Now we're heading over to Georgia, where JW has a question about heating. What can we do for you? I pay some people to come out and clean my chimney. And they ask me, what did I want to do? I said, I want to put a wood-burning stove there. But I have a coal-burning chimney. And they say I couldn't do it. And I want to know, can I put a wood-burner where my coal-burner is set and use the same chimney? It might be that the chimney is too small for wood-burning. Oh. So it may be a physical space issue with the size of the chimney itself, JW. Not um, not so much that you know you can't physically do it, but the the venting may not be correct if the chimney isn't isn't is too small, or the chimney may not be lined. I don't know how old your house is, but it sounds to me like it's a safety issue. Ah, so it'd be better just to do as they suggested to cut a hole in the roof to get that special insulated. Uh, uh, what is it, aluminum? I rarely agree with chimney sweeps because they they give people bad advice a lot. But in this case, I tend to agree with them. If you were to start clean and just put in a regular wood-burning stove, you're going to be able to get, first of all, um, a wood-burning stove that's very, very efficient uh, as opposed to a fireplace insert, which would be less efficient. And, and you'll have complete control over the venting, and you'll be able to do it in a very, very safe and reliable way. Okay. Now, um, is there a special place where I should put a wood-burning stove? It's a six-room house. You can pretty much put it anywhere you want as long as you do it safely. There are standards that are established for how to install a wood stove in a safe location. It has to do with clearance to combustibles and that sort of thing. Look, JW, it's not a do-it-yourself job if you're asking those kinds of questions. It's definitely not the kind of project you want uh, to, to do on your own. I would get a pro to help you with. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEYPIT. Joan in California needs some help with a kitchen remodel. How's it going? Yes, well, we haven't started yet, and I just need some advice on how to get started. Do you start with an architect, or what do you do? That's a good question. So planning makes perfect. You want to start with a plan. Now, are you essentially going to replace the kitchen in sort of the same layout that you have right now, Joan, or are you thinking about really changing things up a lot? Well, it's a very small kitchen, and I just want to know how to maximize everything. All right. So if it's a small kitchen, you can probably do this inexpensively by perhaps starting with a home center. A lot of the home centers have designers that work on the ca- work on designing kitchens for the cabinetry that they sell and for a very small fee, they can help you lay it out and take advantage of all of the latest options. If you want to do more than that, what you're going to do is hire a certified kitchen and bath designer. But this is sort of like hiring an interior decorator that works just on kitchens and baths, and that's going to cost you a few bucks. But if you want to just do this an easy way, I would start with a home center in the kitchen department and see if they'll lay out some options for you uh, using the using the type of cabinets that they sell. Those cabinets are usually pretty affordable at that level, and you know you'll they'll be able to give you some ideas on things perhaps you haven't thought about. You know what, Joan? I think it's really smart to keep a notepad in the kitchen, and everybody and anybody, yourself and your family who use the space, as you walk through and notice little areas where you're tripping over one another or things that just don't make sense or you wish that, you know, X was here and not there, sort of jot all of those down. So when you do go sit down with whether it's, you know, a certified kitchen and bath designer or someone in the home center, you sort of have all of these issues that could be addressed or might be able to be addressed. One thing I really want is more electrical outlets. 
So that'll have to definitely be in the plan. Well, it's definitely in the plan. And, and, you know, you'll do these things in order. The first thing you'll do is rip out the old cabinets. And the next thing you'll do would be to rough in new wiring and new plumbing to have it exactly where you want it. And then, of course, you'll start the installation of the new cabinetry as almost the last step. It's also a good time to think about universal design in the kitchen, maybe having countertops of different height. So as you get older, you could sit down and work at the kitchen counter as opposed to just standing up. So think of the uh, the sort of accessibility issues when you design this kitchen as well. How much uh, time should I allow for something like this? Well, it depends on whether you have sort of all your ducks in a row. Sometimes it takes a while to get all the, the cabinets delivered. But if everything is accessible and on site, you know, you can tear out this kitchen and rebuild it inside of a week. Oh, wow. <laughs> if you have everybody lined up and everybody's there when they need to be there and, you know, the, the plumber shows up on time, the electrician shows up on time and so on. Sure. I don't see any reason you can't get it done in a week. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. Good luck with that project, Joan. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Cody in Texas is on the line with a garage door question. How can we help you today? Uh, interested in uh, insulating the garage door. The, the garage is insulated uh, ceiling, the walls, everything, except for the door. You know, it's just that thin metal panels. And, and I wasn't sure if it's worth my money to uh, go ahead and buy a door that's insulated, like from an overhead door company, or if it would be just as good to buy the foam panels from Lowe's or Home Depot and cut them out and try to fit them into each panel themselves. Well, you got nothing to lose by taking the inexpensive route first because those foam panels are pretty cheap. And, yes, if you can fit them securely inside those garage, those existing metal garage door panels, you're probably going to pick up as much insulation as you would if you replaced the whole thing. You know, an insulated garage door doesn't, in and of itself, even if it's brand new, is not going to add that much insulation value to it. So really, all you have is as much foam as you can squeeze in there. But remember, just as important uh, as the insulating the door panels is to make sure that you have weather stripping along the edge of the door, that it's adjusted so that it sits well against the concrete floor, it sits well against the jam both the side jam and the overhead jam because you know, I would think that wind is probably your biggest enemy in trying to keep that garage warm. And it's good that you've got the rest of it insulated and certainly insulating the panels will help. Uh, but garage doors aren't really known for their comfort. So whatever you do is going to have a limited effect. Okay. Okay. Good deal. So uh, the, the bid I got was $880. I, I think I will go with the foam sheets first because I'll probably have $80 total. In that. Yeah, exactly. See how that goes. Okay, fantastic. Well, I do appreciate it. I always uh, listen to the show and appreciate the advice. All right, thanks so much for calling the Money Pit. Still to come, do you feel dysfunctional when you're doing your laundry? Well, it might not be you as much as it is your laundry room. We've got advice that helps you make, not break, your laundry experience. 888 Money The Money Pit is brought to you by Lutron's new Maestro Occupancy Sensing Switch. Never ask, who left the lights on again? Starting at around $20, this motion-sensing light switch turns the lights on automatically when you walk into a room and off when you leave and works with all types of light bulbs. Learn more at LutronSensors.com. Making good homes better, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Hey, what are you working on on this beautiful day? Pick up the phone and give us a call. We would love to talk. The number is 1-888-MONEY-PIT. Linda, you've got the Money Pit. How can we help you today? Um, We had a new kitchen floor installed about a week and a half ago. Um, It was a middle-of-the-road grade sheet vinyl. 
And a couple of hours after the installers left, we were moving stuff back in, and we moved the refrigerator, and it gouged it a couple of times. And the the, the uh, flooring has a 15-year warranty, so they said they would, you know, honor that and replace it or patch it or whatever. But then two days after that, my eight-month-old puppy got a hold of the seam and ripped it in several places and also took a couple of chunks out of the middle of the floor. Oh, boy. So um, I called the gal, the rep back, and she suggested going with um, an LVT Clicket tile, luxury vinyl tile. And I was just Uh wondering what you guys thought is, you know, if that would be like a viable option, mainly because of the dog. I mean, um, I I just don't know. And another thing is she was saying that they would probably install it right over the floor that they just put down. So that would mean we have... The subfloor, my old floor, the new floor, and then this <laughs> tile on top of it. It's a floor sandwich. Yeah. First of all, whether or not you can put it on top of old layers of floor is really a manufacturer specification. It's not unusual. For example, when you when you put down laminate floor, that always sits on top of, of whatever's underneath it because it kind uh-huh. of floats. So it might be that it's perfectly fine. Luxury right. vinyl tile is probably way more durable than sheet vinyl. Sheet vinyl tends to be really soft, so I'm not at all surprised that it got torn up just by moving the refrigerator back and forth. I mean, you would think that if you're in the flooring design business that that would be sort of a standard. Like, if your kitchen floor can't handle a refrigerator being rolled back and forth, you probably shouldn't be in the business. But unfortunately, a lot of those sheet products are very, very soft and can easily tear. It's a darn good thing that you got your claim in, though, before the dog ripped the rest of it up, because other Otherwise, they may not have uh, had any, any interest in, in, in helping you. But I do think a tile is going to be um, a pretty durable option. I wouldn't be too concerned about putting it uh, on top of the old floor as long as it's permitted by the manufacturer's um, installation instructions, which you certainly should ask to, uh, for a copy of so that you can review. Okay. All right. Well, thanks very much. I appreciate All it. All right, Linda. I hope you love that dog. It's costing you a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, we do. We do. All right. Thank you. All right, Dale and Georgia is on the line with a question about a shifty front door. <laughs> What's going on, Dale? Our house was built in 1937, and it's still settling um, back and forth, spring and winter and summer. And the front door, I've had problems getting it to catch the uh, striker plates. So I've had to move it back and forth. And we're at a point now where the house is settled again, and I can't even latch the front door. How convinced are you that the house is actually moving as opposed to the front door just kind of getting out of whack? Uh, just about positive. I can see there's a different gap at different times of the year. It'll be like at the top in the summertime and at the bottom in the wintertime. And, and what kind of door is this? Is this a metal door, a wood door? No, it's a solid wood door. The solid wood door. And you really like this wood door? Yeah, it's, I think it's the original door. It's got the, the handmade glass in it and the ornate decoration around the edges. Right, so you have no interest in replacing the door? No, I put a new door on the back, but I really don't want to lose this door if I can... What I would probably do is essentially rehang the door. So what that's going to require is you removing the trim from around the door inside and out so you can see just the jams. Because I suspect that the jams are not securely attached to the framing, or they may have loosened up over the years. I would basically want to rehang this as if it was a new door, 
but maybe with not doing all the work that would be responsible for that. So if you pull the trim out, then you're going to look at the attachment points for the jams. You're going to do one final adjustment, getting the door exactly where you want it. And then you're going to resecure the door jams to the door frame. You need to make sure that the space between the door jam and the door frame is completely shimmed with a wood shim. So you would use wood blocks followed by usually cedar shingles, one from one side, one for the other. If you push them together, they get wider and they get thicker and they get nice and tight. And then what I would do is I I wouldn't nail it in. I would actually use a drywall styled screw. So a long case hardened screw that you can set just below the surface of the door jam and then putty over it. Because if you attach them with screws and you shim it properly, that door really shouldn't move. The expansion and the contraction of the door is about all you really should be have left. And if it gets tight at one point in the year, I would take the door off and I would trim it a little bit just to make enough room for it to close when it's fully expanded. Okay. That's something I didn't think of. All right. Well, I do appreciate it. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. All right, still ahead. Winter blahs got you feeling blue. Well, park up your space with bright paint and say hello to spring a little bit early. We've got some great color ideas next. You live in a body pit. Making good homes better, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Give us a call right now at 888-MONEY-PIT. We'll help you get anything that you're working on at your Money Pit done efficiently, effectively, and cost-effectively as well. And we're going to help you do that by giving away a great prize this hour. We've got up for grabs a laser level, which is really great for leveling pretty much anything. It's great for putting up chair rail or any sort of accent pieces of molding, hanging artwork. You want to make sure things are all straight and in the right spot because sometimes floors aren't level and sometimes ceilings aren't level. And then you got to figure out like, how do I make this work and not look so weird? Well, that's where a laser level comes in. It's a great prize worth 29 bucks. Give us a call for your chance to win. 888-666-3974. Kirk in North Dakota is on the line with a lighting question. What's going on? So I got a quick question on fluorescent lights. You know, a lot of your uh, lights are, of course, rated, you know, 60 watts, etc. So my question kind of came in the fact that on the fluorescent bulb, it says this is equal to a 60-watt bulb. But sometimes it's just not enough light. So what happens? Or are you allowed to put a bigger bulb wattage? Because since fluorescents are supposed to be taking less electricity, can a guy put a bigger bulb in there in a fluorescence that says equals to 100 watts because it's still drawing less electricity? So I think what you're talking about here is compact fluorescence, Kirk. Right. So the wattage limitations on fixtures is based on a calculation that involves incandescent bulbs, and, it, and it, because it's because it equates to heat. You know, a 100-watt bulb is going to uh, emit a certain amount of heat, and uh, the fixture's rated to take that heat. That's, that's what it's rated for, and you can't put more than that. When it comes to fluorescence, you're only using a quarter of the energy. So a 15-watt bulb would deliver, you, deliver the same equivalent of 60 watts of light. You can't have a bulb that delivers the equivalent of a bigger watt bulb but you're still not actually putting that amount of electricity into it. Does that make sense? Right. So you could actually, like you say, if it's a third, if it's rated for a 60-watt incandescent bulb, you could virtually say if there was a 150-watt bulb in a fluorescent, 
you should be able to put that in there and not cause an overload and get more light out of that same fixture. Yeah, I probably wouldn't double it. <laughs> but I might, if it calls for a 60, I might go up to 100 because then you're moving from saying 15 watts to 25. But I have a better suggestion. Forget the compact fluorescents. They are an outdated technology. The LED bulbs it's, are where it's at today. They, they deliver a much better quality light with uh, just the same, if not more, savings. But you know, that was the whole issue is sometimes you just don't get enough light out of some of those fixtures. Right. And I think that if, right, and also they're very temperature sensitive if it's a cold area. like Well, and then they're color sensitive as well. You know, when you get a CFL, you have to pick what color temperature you want that bulb to feel, and they can all feel extremely different. So you might pick something that gives a cold, harsh light, and you want something warmer. So there's a lot of experimenting with what type of fluorescent bulb you're going to get. We'll have to try some different things, but I was just worried about the wattage and making sure I didn't overheat the uh, original fixture. No, you're smart. You're smart to be concerned, but I I'd take a look at the LEDs, and I think once you start trying them, you'll be you'll be disposing of those CFLs. Well, thank you very much for taking my call. I appreciate you're it. You're very welcome. Good luck with that project. Well, this is the time of year that tends to drag on for a lot of people out there. But while it's still a couple of months before we get those nice long days that are warm and sunny. You can start now by perking yourself up with some paint. And some of those colors that you can pick could really be a good boost for your mood. So let's talk about orange. Now, orange creates a warm and inviting environment. It also makes me think of orange juice, which makes me think of summer, which is that bad in any way, shape, or form. So you want to choose a soft shade that maybe has a pink or a yellow undertone to it. And that can really liven up any space in your home. And maybe a good small space to start would be your foyer. Now, another shade that works really well is blue. That's one of my favorite colors. But don't be afraid to go dark. The thing about blue is that you have to paint kind of a large swatch on the wall and check it out in different light because it really does look differently across the entire day. It's an extra step that's totally worth it. You know, I mean, you try on clothes, right? So why not try on the paint? If for any reason you don't like it, you could simply paint over it with another color and try again. Mm-hmm. And you're right about the dark blue, Tom, because even though navy might seem like a dark, very rich hue, it does seem very bright when it's on all of the walls. And navy, of course, goes with everything. And then there's cobalts and all sorts of interesting shades of blue that even though they're dark or rich, so to speak, can really brighten up a space. Well, it can make everything else pop too, right? You know, with your decor. Oh, for sure. And you know what? It's a good balance if all of the rest of your furnishings are neutral. So it gives you a good base that sort of makes everything seem planned rather than everything just seems beige and blah. Now, another good color might be yellow. It's a really happy shade, but if you go too light in a room with natural light, it ends up looking white. So you want to look for a deeper shade of yellow that maybe has some orange undertones to it. But you want to be careful because yellow can tend to look like butter very quickly. So you have to look for the right shade of yellow. Again, as Tom said with the blue, I'd bring home some different samples and try them out with swatches. Make sure you really like it. Try us out. We actually might get the answer right this time. 888-666-3974. All right, now we're heading over to Iowa, where Chad has a question about condensation on a bay window. What's going on, Chad? Hi, I have a uh, well, it's a bay window that gets the three windows. Um, the, lo- the center one's larger than the other two on the outside. Um, and that, on that center one, I get a uh, condensation problem in the uh, kind of an oval shape directly in the center of that window. Can't seem to figure out why it's. So, Chad, is this window a thermal pane window or a double or triple pane window? Uh, it is. Uh, it is double pane. And the condensation, of course, is in between the panes of glass. Correct. Yep. So, what's happened here is the seal between those panes of glass has failed. 
and it's allowed warm, moist air to get in there. So as especially as it gets cold outside, you have that warm, moist air striking the cold glass on the exterior. And then as the air chills, it releases its moisture and it condenses, much as what would happen, say, in, in the summer if you were outside with a glass of uh iced tea or or soda, and you got moisture on the outside of the glass. That's the condensation that you're seeing. Now, there's there's not really a great solution here, because once the window panes fail like that, you have to pretty much replace the entire window pane. Now, it's possible that you could uh, have a pro take this window apart and replace just that one uh, section, but it's just not easy. If there is good news, it's this. It'll have a minor impact on your energy efficiency, so it's mostly a cosmetic problem that you're that you're experiencing. So if you can live with the look, uh, just live with it. It may get a little bit worse, it may get a little bit better depending on the temperature difference between outside and inside. But uh, you know, it's not going to affect the window in any other way. Yeah. Okay, I appreciate it. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Still ahead, laundry room tips to help make that space work for you, not against you when we come back. Making good homes better. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Hey, if you're not sure where to turn for on-the-job answers, check out moneypit.com. From who to hire to how to do it, we've got DIY tips for projects big and small. It's all online and at your fingertips any hour, anytime at moneypit.com. All right. While you're online, post your question just like Joanna did who writes, I'm thinking about building a deck this spring about 400 square feet. Is composite decking really worth the extra expense? Well, these materials are more expensive, but I think it's a very good choice. There are some maintenance issues with some of the early composite products, but the new products really look good and they last an indefinite amount of time. I've seen them down for over a decade at this point and they show almost no wear and tear. Really just a little bit of light pressure washing is all your need for this. Now remember, you don't have to do the structure, just the floorboards, uh, just the railings. The structure can still be made with pressure treated. It gives you the best of both worlds. Yeah, that makes sense and it really does look good. Well, happy laundry rooms start with good bones. I mean, basic functional systems that work the way they should to help you clean your clothes and prevent disasters. If you want to give your bones a good checkup, though, to make sure all systems are go, Leslie's got that checklist in this week's edition of Leslie's Last Word. Yeah, you know, this really is about the bones of a laundry room. We want to make sure that it's working for you. We want to make sure that you're not going to end up with a ton of water all over wherever your laundry room is nearby. So you have to really go about the space once in a while, maybe once a year, and make sure everything's functioning properly. So let's start with those basics. Let's talk about your water supply hoses. Now, you can make this change in the last you for a while. You know, those typical rubber-based water supply lines, those do have a tendency to swell and burst. So if you still have those rubber hoses, get rid of them and replace them with hoses that are braided steel. They come in a variety of lengths. It's a super easy do-it-yourself fix. It's going to save you a lot of money should one of those, you know, bust and send water everywhere. And along those lines, let's talk about an automatic water shut-off valve. Now, they can detect an out-of-the-ordinary water flow before it turns into an all-out flood. And while you're at it, you and your whole family should be familiar with the location of your water valves. You want to know where they are in the event of a problem, and you want to make sure that all the valves are accessible and functional. And 
I know this doesn't have to do anything with laundry room, really, but your water main, your automatic, your water shutoff valve for the water main into the house, know where that is. Make sure everybody in the family knows where that is. Put a big tag on it that says water main valve shut off so everybody knows just in case there won't be any questions. Now, here's another thing to think about. If you've got separate water valves for hot and cold water, you might want to take the opportunity now to upgrade to a single lever turnoff valve, which will turn off both the hot and cold water supplies at the same time. Super effective, great time saver, and just really sort of, you know, buttons up the whole operation of the laundry room. Now, here's something you need to be doing every six months, and this is our last tip, and it's a super important tip, guys. You want to clean out your dryer vent every six months. I don't know how many times I've got to say that. You have to do it. Lint in there. It's going to collect, and then that's what causes dryer exhaust duct fires. I mean, you can end up with a dryer fire. There are 15,000 of those dryer fires every year. People die. People lose all their possessions. Don't let that happen to you. You can get a simple tool. There's you know, a lot out there, but the one Tom and I have both used before is the Gardas Lint Eater. It's amazing how much lint and just stuff is going to come out of your exhaust. It's easy to do. You'll be so thankful you did it, and it's kind of gross, and you'll be surprised as well what comes out. <laughs> Good advice. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. Coming up next time on the program, we're going to talk about standby generators. They can keep your home powered no matter what, and they're actually more budget-friendly than ever before. We'll teach you what to look for in these power outage saviors on the next edition of The Money Pit. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone.